Hello and welcome to the Buying and Selling Businesses Show. Today on the show, we've got a special guest. As a business acquirer, one of the biggest challenges that you face is firstly getting the right valuation for the business that you want to buy, but then raising the finance to actually do the deal to buy the business and doing it in a way that means that you can give the vendor what they want, what they need, but also that the price that you're paying and the structure that you're using is affordable for the business over the next few years and a key advisor to me in that area is my guest today jeff smith where i'd like to start actually is just understanding uh, or talking a, a little bit about your background because obviously you've been in the in and around the funding market for quite a while Yes, as you might notice, I've got a lot of background, Um, four decades. My finance experience, uh, having been an article clerk before God was a lad, um, was in asset finance and cash flow lending um, with a little bit of um, commercial banking on top. Then in 19... 1989, I set up a finance business financing SMEs and raised 20 odd million from the city uh, to finance that. Um, That was sold in 93, having had a fairly torrid time through the recession of 89, 93. But it meant I knew an awful lot of private equity guys. So I spent time working in various private equity firms look at the financing of deals that they've either already done or wish to do. Uh, ultimately, that ended up with me acting as a consultant in NatWest Markets for several years, uh, looking at deal financing on things like the railway privatizations and all of that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, I then came out of that and set up another finance company backed by City Money and flogged that one, I think, in about 97. Uh, went back into private equity came back out again, set up another company um, financing home information packs, which was that oh, okay. thing that they brought in before the last election 2010. Um, that went fantastically yep. well, and then they scrapped them. So I came back to do what I'm doing now, um, which is um, gun for hire, um, helping wherever I can. Uh, but I want to get more involved in uh, spreading in more information about the financing of transactions. So yep. that's what we've been doing. Um, there are any number of brokers out there who say they can finance buyouts. Yeah, that's I'm true. Sure some, I'm sure some can. I'm sure they can. Um, but they tend to have limited contacts because they specialise in an area, it might be print, it might be transport or something else. Uh, Anything that's outside area is difficult for them. Um, They don't have any experience of buying or selling companies um, and they don't have the tools to do the evaluations that are required. Um, 
But to be yeah. fair, you know, simple structure. Didn't have a go. Um, I just found that there weren't many people who could go beyond that. So mm. that's why I do what I do now. Okay, brilliant. And what what do you find most interesting about, you know, obviously there's different aspects to all of this. So what's the bit that really floats your boat? Finding a structure that allows a deal to go ahead where it looked as if it wouldn't, by which I don't mean putting together such a ludicrous forecast or um, unrealistic expectations that we prove that it's a wonderful deal when it's not. Point number one is you don't buy a business for the amount of money you can raise. You buy a business at its value, and then you look at the debt. There seems to yes. be a, a tendency to say, oh, I can borrow two million pounds, let's pay two million pounds. Yes. Let's not, let's pay something less than that. Uh, and if we can put together on a sensible structure, it means we start off with, there's no, there's a lack of pressure when you're not borrowed up to the eyeballs and everything has to work perfectly. If you can borrow sufficient to do the transaction without having to assume that everything works perfectly every time to pay it back, mm. you'll find you sleep more. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and that's helpful. Okay. And Obviously, through doing this, you've seen a range of different sorts of buyers or potential buyers of businesses. So let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, of, of the, the buyers that you've seen, what are the big shortcomings in them or what are the big mistakes that they make in the way that they look at transactions or potential transactions? Well, apart from a tendency, as I say, to um, to want to pay as much money as they can, um, which is not wise, they, they tend to um, go native. They tend to want to buy a business. This is a business, therefore I want to buy it. Uh, um, everything that comes up that would normally suggest that that probably isn't the company for them is disregarded and an enthusiasm to get this deal done. Um, a lot of people are shy about talking to people they don't know. Once they've met the guy who owns this business, he's now their friend. Mm. And they treat him as someone who's part of the deal, not a deal, the deal that they're going to do. Um, it's best to have objective standards that you apply, and if it doesn't pass, don't do it. Don't change the rules. Don't assume there's going to be a 12% annual growth in his market because... Or he's been very sleepy recently. Well, he may well have been, but it doesn't mean you can do anything about it. Um, so I, I knock the um, the enthusiasm on the head, uh, have a standard model, and as important, before you buy any business, you've got to know what you're going to do with it. Are you yes. going to sell it? Are you going to float it? Are you going to add it to another business? You know, it's possible to buy some businesses cheap at the moment because there isn't a lot of enthusiasm in the sector. 
I can imagine pubs go quite cheaply at the moment, but it doesn't mean they're bargains. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. In some occasions, you can add a business to another business and get three. Sometimes you can add a business to another business and get one and a half. Mm. So you've got to know what you're going to do before you start. Yes. Yeah. And it's easy, actually, to make that mistake. You get so committed and wrapped up in just getting the deal completed that you don't think enough about what you're going to do after the deal's done. Yeah. You, you should have a clear idea of what you want to do, a timetable for when you want to do it by, and don't deviate from it. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, this is a nice business, but it's half the size of the business I was looking for, or twice the size of the business I was looking for. Well, don't buy it then. There are plenty more out there that will meet the criteria. And what about sellers? Because, you know, we talked a bit about buyers and the the, the shortfalls that you see in, in buyers. How realistic are sellers about the valuation of their businesses? And does that depend on whether they've got a representative or not? Does that impact on it? Well, people are capable of being quite um, deluded all by themselves, but the input of broker tends to encourage that. Um, it's always amazed me, brokers, I may be doing a disservice, but tend to charge a fee at the start and then a fee on a monthly retainer basis. Well, that's hardly an incentive to sell it quickly. So they aim for a very high price. Um, they convince the vendor that that's what the business is worth. And that causes problems because unless someone who's um, inexperienced comes along and buys it, it won't sell. Oh. Yes. Yeah. But it, you know, it's best, I think, not to even discuss anything else with a vendor. The first conversation should be, I would like to buy your business. I think it's worth X. Is that of any interest? And if he says that's I- not even close, you've saved yourself an awful lot of time. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, actually, because um, I, I hear lots of stuff about, sorry, just killing my phone, um, hear lots of stuff about the importance of building rapport with vendors. And... Do you build rapport with someone you buy a car from? <laughs> Do you build rapport with someone you buy a house from? Yeah. And there is that... Going. <laughs> Yeah, there is, a, there is actually a real sort of conflict here because if you're not careful, it is very easy to waste a lot of time yeah. building up a relationship with someone only to find that they want five times what the business is worth. And that's, that's something I've come across and it's a mistake that I've made. So I think it is an interesting approach being able to say pretty much straight away, look, it looks to me like it's worth around about this. What do yeah. you think? Well, I, I sort of understand why people take that line. Um, it also means they don't have to make any hard decisions. If you say to someone, yes. I'm, I believe it's worth X, and he says, well, I'm not interested, you can say, well, thank you very much for your time. Mm. 
there's nothing more irritating to me than to work on a transaction and get the whole thing two decimal places and find out that the price is 100% out. Yes. Uh, yes. And I don't want to be the vendor's friend. I want to offer mm. them a fair price for a decent business, which will then hopefully go forward. Yeah. A lot of vendors yeah. as well say that they want uh, their business to be preserved as a sort of um, their legacy. Well, overvaluing it, overborrowing against it is one guaranteed way that it won't last long. Yeah. So not his yeah. If he's looking for any kind of um, legacy. I, yeah, I hear that a lot, actually, the legacy thing. Yeah. And it survives it survives right up to the point where you start talking about money and then yeah. all of a sudden they forget about the legacy. Yeah. What, one other thing that's often overlooked is why is he selling it? Mm. Everyone yeah. says, oh, well, I want to go off and do something else. It, it's never investigated. You, you know, what exactly is it you want to do and how are you going to do it? Because if he hasn't got a decent plan, it's a, yes. it's a false excuse. You know, yes. 38-year-olds or 44-year-olds want to sell businesses after four years. Uh, I may be cynical, but it suggests to me he knows something I don't. Yeah, it is a bit odd. And, and the other thing you get with people like that is, well, I'll sell it if you make me a silly offer. Yeah. Well, that's easy. I'll make you a silly offer. Panned. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a deal then, done. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it would be. So, how, how have you seen the funding market evolve over the years? Because obviously, I mean, I've come into this fairly recently, and at the moment, there's quite a range of different types of commercial funding available. Um, has it always been that way, or is that a fairly recent development? The, the market is 95% the way it's always been. People lend money against invoices. They lend money against yep. fixed assets, uh, maybe a little stock. Those facilities have been there since the dawn of time. The only new development is the cash flow lender. Right. Someone who is not looking primarily as a pawnbroker at the asset values but at the cash flow the business generates and its ability to service the repayments. Yep. Now that means an awful lot of businesses who couldn't borrow money, like the one we just looked at, um, have very few assets, but generate large amounts of profit and cash and can afford to repay a loan. And they can demonstrate that they've done that for several years. Yes. The problem with cash flow lending is it's still a fairly small sector. Um, it's had a number of people who have come in and out again. Um, the criteria under which it operates are still subject to um, unpredictable change. Yeah. So it could be very good in one deal and not so good in another, when in theory they should have both been the same. It, it may be that you can borrow money one month and you can't the next. Yes. Uh, None of this has been helped by COVID. Yeah, well, yeah. Because cash flow, you know, has been hard to find the last few months. So it's difficult to demonstrate an ability to service. Yeah. 
But yes, there are now people out there, fairly well hidden generally, within most of the lenders who specialize in doing acquisitions. Right. They understand how it works. They understand the models. They understand the basic lending criteria are different from financing a truck for a man who wishes to start a new business or something similar. Yeah. So there's yeah. an increase in expertise, but it's all at the margin. Most of it's exactly as it okay. was in 1980. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing with cash flow loans, of course, is their, their focus on this concept of skin in the game. Ah, yes. Well, th th it's unfair to say it's just cash flow lenders. It started off with our traditionalists, the uh, invoice discounters and the asset financiers. Th they've yeah. always had that view. Um, the cash flow lenders um, at one point weren't so difficult. But they've had a number of instances in the last 12 months where businesses in which they have um, put money have had difficulties and the owner has walked away because it doesn't cost them anything to do so. Yeah. Now, I don't know what difference it makes to have a man put £50,000 into a £4 million deal. Mm. The, it's purely emotional. Yes. Um, if anyone's taking a risk, it is not the lender, it's the vendor who ranks behind him. Mm. Because he may be in a yeah. position where they pay back all the debt they've borrowed but can't quite make the vendor payments. Mm. Yes. Uh, so skin in the game, as I say, it's historic, it's emotion driven. It's possible with some people to address it by way of personal guarantees, mm. which are limited and insured. Yeah. So the yeah. vast bulk of the liability rests with the insurance company, not with the purchaser. Yes. Uh, that's one way of doing it. Um, it's still possible to do some deals without um, skin in the game, but it's one of those things. It, it ebbs and it flows. It's very, mm. very hard to get money without okay. it. Some days and other days, it's quite easy. Yeah, yeah. And are you seeing any trends at the moment in terms of new, either new approaches to funding, new types of funding? I mean, you've talked about this idea of acquisition specialists within funders. Is there anything else going on at the moment? I understand that some people are exploring um, the use of third-party investor money to provide skin in the game, where the investor comes in as a partner to the with the purchaser yep. for a relatively modest sum, say £100,000 on a £2 million deal, um, which means it's financeable. Um, yes. for which he gets more than 5%. Yeah. It's not done yeah. mathematically. It's um, how much would the purchaser like to give up to get his deal done? Yes. Now, yeah, that's, and that's really, it's a scaled down version of the you know, classic leverage buyout model, really, isn't it? I mean, that's what people like Blackstone were doing 15, 20 years ago. Yes. Um, it has all sorts of problems attached to it. Um, because it's early days and um, there is no established methodology. There is no standard documentation. Um, Non-standard things tend to be expensive. 
especially mm. people being non-standard, um, which, which yeah. is a disincentive. Um, there is a role there for um, a fund to be established. So there are any number of uh, small investors who would find it attractive to do some of these deals. Um, yes. But at the moment, that's an undeveloped market and time will tell. Speaking about things which there's no set way of evaluating, um, probably the biggest thing in relation to business acquisitions that there's no set way of evaluating is the value of the business in the first place. This is something which comes into every single transaction or potential transaction. So for you, you've been around this market for a while now, you've seen things done in lots of different ways. What's the starting point or what are the potential starting points? Let's say we're talking about, you know, your classic SME type business, 2 million to 10 million in value. Um, you know, with a bit of profit, a bit of cash in the bank um, that's been running for a while. It's got a track record. So what's the starting point in relation to valuation for you? Or what are the starting post, points? Post-tax post profit. It's the only thing that's not open to dispute. What is okay. the post-tax profit? Now, yep. what's the difference between that and the valuation? The multiple. So it's a multiple that's the variable. Yes. Um, okay. What factors do you take into account in establishing an appropriate multiple? Um, you look, could look at other deals that have been done in the sector recently, although there's not a lot of information available. Um, you could look at the history of growth. Uh, you could look at a good um, second line management team. A believable reason for sale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The structure under which you can do the transaction. Generally, if the guy wants most of it up front, you can't pay as high a multiple. Um, all of these factors are taken into account. But if you say, ultimately, if I'm paying a multiple of five, I'm getting a return of 20% of my investment. Is that adequate for the risk of investing in a small business? Mm. Now, with current interest rates where they are, probably is. If interest rates were 15%, a 5% risk premium over, you know, putting the money in the bank would suggest that three times would be more appropriate than five. Yes. Um, so it's not arithmetic, okay. it's a feel. Um, but again, I come yep. back to the one fact. If there's something about it that you don't, think is as it should be don't do it mm, yes. don't say I'm a genius and I'm going to turn it round and it's going to be wonderful um, most businesses go yeah. broke because they're bad businesses you know yeah. the, the idea put around by some people you buy things for a pound and buy some alchemy of magic that you can carry out, you turn them into million pound investments. Mm. I don't know many. Um, yeah. You know, but with that easy, yeah. we'd all do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I heard a description a few days ago, actually, which 
So, you know, sometimes you hear something and you think, oh, wow, yeah, that just makes it all make sense for me. And the description I heard is that basically a business is a little machine that generates cash. That's what it is. And as a buyer, that is what you're buying. You're buying a machine that every year will throw out an amount of cash. So then the question is, how much are you willing to pay for that? That's where your multiple comes in. So how how many years worth of profits am I willing to pay to buy this machine that's going to make so much a year? Um, And when I heard that, I went, yeah, that in a very simple, straightforward way, that expresses, if you like, the buyer's dilemma or the buyer's question. Yeah, that's that's, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah, that's as complicated as it need be. That's what you're doing. And if you have a business, I, I come across people all the time. They've got a business with a net worth of three million pounds that makes a thousand pounds a year. Well, mm. what's it worth? Well, it's worth three thousand pounds on my reckoning. And you say, well, I've got a million pounds worth of assets. And you, say, and you make a thousand pounds a year. Why yeah. don't you wind it up and use the money to do something else? Mm. It's only worth yeah, a million so, pounds yeah. if it's wound yeah. up. Yeah. So that's an interesting one, actually, because there are some businesses that you look at and they, the value of the assets exceeds any sensible multiple that yeah. you would apply to the net profit. And sometimes it's because it's got loads of cash in it. Yeah, that can be that can be one reason. So how do you how do you approach that situation? Do you just say, look, it's not profitable. I'm not interested or. Well, to, to use the model that I, I, I use, you'd say. Profit's a thousand pounds, five times that is five thousand. There's one million pounds in the bank. Add the cash to that value and you get a million and five thousand. Okay. for yeah. cash and five thousand of the business. Yeah. Yeah. And if it had no other assets or liabilities, you'd be paying five thousand pounds over the asset value. Mm. And that's the only sense. That's why you have to differentiate between cash and the business value as a going concern. Yes. Uh, the other thing that tends to um, come up from time to time, surprisingly from accountants as much as anyone else, is um, my client would like X plus the cash in the bank at the time the deal is done. Yes, I've heard that. It's completely fallacious. Yep. If he was to not pay any of his bills and collect all of his debtors, the cash would transform. It would go from whatever it is now to something a lot higher. The business wouldn't be worth a pound more. The net asset value would still be the same. It's just yes. turn debtors into cash. Yes. Okay, so you've got to weigh off the debts against the cash that's actually sitting in the bank to get some kind of net cash value. Yeah, it's the cash in the bank, assuming the net asset value is X as it is today. Hmm. And I'll pay an extra pound for every pound increasing net asset value, and I'll take a pound off for every pound net asset value reduces. Mm. I'm not interested whether it's in the form of widgets, debtors, or cash. It's right. all the same. Yeah, right. But if I've got half a million cash sat in the bank, and I've got two hundred thousand pounds worth of short-term creditors, yeah, what do we do there? We knock the two hundred off the five hundred. Generally, no. Generally, you, you just the multiple will make it sensible. Okay. Um, so the creditors is all part of the kind of working capital calculation. Yes. Um, and 
you're always going to have creditors and you're always going to have debtors and you're always going to have stock. Um, the one thing that is out of proportion is generally the cash, but it's several years build up. So you yeah. can understand he wants that. And by taking through um, a sale, he's going to save a fortune in tax rather than paying himself yes. a company great dividend. Yeah. Um, so it's important to him that that is part of the deal that's done that way. But um, again, I, I think I, I come to a point where there's a value that makes sense. There's always a value that makes sense. There's plenty of other ones, but there's only one that makes sense. And it's that value which gives you an adequate return on your money. It doesn't leave the business depleted of working capital. And it takes out various things that are distorting the deal. Yeah. If it's a business making £5,000 a year, owns a building worth £400,000, you'd be better to give the building to the vendor as by way of part of the um, proceeds mm. yeah. than keep it. Mm. Because you've got to borrow money to get it. How do you service a £400,000 loan at five grand a year? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. So take it out, reduce the balance sheet, and that way you're left with um, a deal that's theoretically financeable anyway. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Brilliant. Well, I think um, I mean, we'll call it a day at that point. And thanks very much for that, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's great to have this with someone who is a, a true expert in their field. Well, age has very few benefits, but that's one. <laughs> <laughs> if watching this has got you interested in the idea of investing in small companies, then please get in touch. I'll be delighted to talk to you. Also, if you're interested in buying businesses, or if you own a business that you may be interested in selling, then please get in touch. For now, I want to say thanks very much for watching. And this has been the Buying and Selling Businesses Show.